0: And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Pastor Joel is concluding our study in the book of Philippians. He's in Philippians chapter 4 with the message Finding Joy in Standing Firm.
1: Today, we're going to end with the letter of Philippians. And you get to the end of this letter. And Paul, who is sitting in jail, chained to a guard, doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And he pens his last words to this dear, dear group of people that he loves. Uh, The last words that maybe he would ever say to them. Uh, So these are special words. And uh, I... Trust the spirit to move as he will. But I, I want to begin the message by just reading the first verse. If you wouldn't mind, just stand with me in the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, we're just going to read verse 1. If you uh, like to follow along in the pew Bibles on page 923, uh, we'll, we'll spend a, the whole time looking at that, so um, we'll just start this morning. Philippians 4 in verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... Whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You can you can feel Paul's like I love you, my beloved. You are my joy. I, I I love you, and I'm about to give you these words of instruction. Let's let's pray again, Lord. As we approach Your Word this morning. I pray that your spirit would be alive and active and speaking to us. That as we spend time meditating on the words that were written so long ago, but written for us, I pray that we would each hear our names being said this morning. That the words that were inspired by the spirit, written through Paul, would be written on our hearts this morning as well. So open our eyes that we can see, open our ears that we can hear, Hear what you'd have for us, and Lord, change our hearts. Guard them with your words so that we could find joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, before we get to the text, I actually want to give you a picture this morning of the, of the idea of the message. But I, I want to do it in picture form, especially for those of you who are, are visual. So here, here's a picture of uh, me and Elijah when he was like a year old. We're in... Uh, Prague, Czech Republic, at the castle there, and there is a guard at the castle that stands there 24 hours a day, doesn't matter what the weather, he is always on guard there. There is Elijah in the middle, probably safest place he could be next to a guard and next to his dad, uh, who wouldn't let anything happen uh, to Elijah. The guard uh, that you see standing there actually started this whole regiment of People started in 1918 after the fall after the World War I ends, and they moved the presidency of Czechoslovakia, this newly formed country, uh, to Prague, and that's where the president took up his office, in a castle. And so he didn't have a White House like we do, but can you imagine being a president in a castle? That's awesome. But it's also open to the public. And so people come and go all the time through this castle, and so they set up this this guard, it's, it's kind of a paramilitary group that's just there f- to protect the president in the castle. So there's a guard that's been standing there since 1918, round the clock, 24 hours a day, uh, always standing firm at attention, letting, not letting anything happen to the president uh, in that castle. Uh, there... Uh, Uh, The guards, there's 653 of them in this regiment, Uh, they stand on guard uh, at the castle, they they function a lot like our firefighters do today, so they'd go and live for 24 hours at the the castle, they had dorms there and everything, and for 24 hours they were always on uh, guard with anything should happen. And part of that time is an hour they spend at the guard towers all around the castle, standing at complete attention, standing firm there so that no one comes in or goes out that's not approved by this guard, that would not risk anything. And then the other 23 hours, there's drills and training, and nowadays we have security cameras and everything locked down and they're watching everything. And so really those guards are more ceremonial today than they are anything else as everything is so electronic. Uh, but those guards actually represent a whole group of people behind the scenes that are standing guard there at the castle, not letting anything happen uh, to the president. I, I was, I've was i been there several times. I even was there one time when no one was around and we we're so messing with those guards, which is so fun because they're not supposed to move. Uh, and they actually like poked me with his bayonet, uh, which he's not supposed to do, but nobody else was around, thats that's my... That's my memory. Uh, we brought our kids to the Prague Castle, and those guards were still there. And that's the picture that uh, of Elijah there. It's just a one-year-old next to that guard standing standing firm. And just like those guards were there to protect the president in that castle. As long as the president's in that castle, those guards are on, on guard 24 hours a day. Just like those guards were there, Paul is going to show us that as believers, standing firm in Christ protects our joy. Standing firm in Christ protects your joy. You know, those soldiers, they, they were trained and they had all these drills to know what to look out for and, and suspicious things to, to see and then how to deal with all those uh, risks or people that were trying to come, come in. The bombs, uh, the suspicious looking people, they, they knew, they were trained of what to let in and what to let out. And they knew where the, the gates were at. They knew the vulnerable points to get, them in, to get in there. And, and it might, you might ask, like, so what is, where, is, where are the guards at? And what is the gate for us as a Christian life that would steal our joy, the rob our joy? Where does the enemy get in at? And that's really what Paul wants to address in the text today. As he will bring us back to this group of people that he loves. And he says, as long as you remain in Christ, there is going to be a guard set up 24 hours a day for your heart, your head, and your hands. Your heart, your head, and your hands. So Paul finishes this letter by by pointing out to the believers there. There's going to be enemies at the gate trying to get in, trying to rob you of your joy. But there is a peace of God that's going to guard your heart, your head, and your hands. That will allow you to remain in Christ and experience the joy and rejoicing of what that looks like. So that's our outline today. I want to take us through three gates where the peace of God guards. Here's the first one. The peace of God guards your your heart. And I want you to, to imagine sitting in a little room in Philippi in someone's house. It's been 10 years and you've been with this group of people just like people here have been together. There's a special group of people that have met regularly together. You've been there when someone's mom's passed away. You've been there at the birth of a child. You've been there at the graduations. You've lived life with these people. You've watched their kids grow up from a one-year-old to a 17-year-old. You've been there in the struggles and the highs and the lows, and you're gathered together in a house with these people, these dear people, And someone brings a letter from Paul, and you sit in this house, and you listen to this letter as Paul goes, I love you guys. You're my heart. You're my beloved. You're my crown. You're my joy. I just, I love you guys. But over the years, there's also been hurt and pain and disagreements. So so that group that you love dearly is also the group that might have hurt you the most. You know how that feels. The love and the disagreements. And you hear this letter of Paul as he's encouraging you to know Christ, to remain in Christ, to go after Christ. And then he gets to the end of the letter and all of a sudden your ears perk up because you hear your name. I mean, your name is Christ called in this letter by Paul who's 800 miles away writes a letter and at the end he's like did he just say my name like I don't even know if they're like hey wait can you can you read that again Uh, you just read your my name like he read my name and we're going to see today that if you listen you're going to hear your name read as well and and I hope the spirit perks up your ears as well let's read the text Starting in verse 2, Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. stop right there and if we had some time uh, there might be so many questions you'd want to ask uh, I know this week as I've been studying the text I'm, there is so many details I would love to know I would love to know who Euodia and who syndicate were tell me about what's going on and maybe that's just I want to hear more information what are they disagreeing about and why has it become such a big issue that Paul hears about it like 800 miles away, and time has elapsed, and he writes them a letter all the way back, and I'm like, I wonder how they're feeling. I wonder how they're getting along. I wonder if this letter actually changed their relationship. I wonder if it brought unity or if it brought division and more fighting. I, I there are so many questions that I have. And there are lots of commentators and scholars who have dived into each of these uh, areas that are actually very fascinating and very interesting uh, to read about. But what I want to do this morning, just in our time, is I just want to point us back to the text. I just want to go, here's what we know. We know that it doesn't seem to be a doctrinal issue here. Paul himself is very good at correcting sin and different doctrinal strays. Like He does that in all the other books very well. Uh, read Romans, read Corinthians, and you'll see. Paul is not a- afraid or doesn't know how to handle doctrinal issues. He can handle them. Uh, it doesn't seem to be that this is a doctrinal issue here. Uh, because he doesn't actually a- a- address the disagreement at all. Um, he-, he only addresses how they're handling the disagreement. And, and he also, we see he gives advice to these-, these two ladies, but he also gives advice to the whole community. That he invites everyone in to this Uh, to this this disagreement happening between two people. And he's going to give them advice that guards their hearts so they'll be able to experience the joy of God. So I want to point out a couple observations about this, of what we know from the text that can guard our hearts when we have these disagreements. Not over essential doctrines, uh, over the essentials we need unity. Uh, And if you don't know what those are, we have a whole uh, page of them, what we believe here at Hollyview to be the essentials. Uh, and this is, we're not talking about the disagreements over those essentials. We're, we're talking about uh, disagreements over, like, secondary issues is what they're called. Uh, things that more than likely you feel very strongly about. That more than likely evoke something in you. Uh, something, some conviction or opinions that you have that often poke at your heart and move your emotions. You might feel very strongly about them and you might even disagree with people and, and even part ways with them over some of these things and i think we have uh, i was thinking through examples of it and i'm like oh how about just covid <laughs> the whole covid uh but that's too easy <laughs> so so dealing with uh what is it today that we disagree with and i, I think it often starts with these two words um, that you have said and I say all the time as well. To these statements that we make that often begin with these two words, I think. Uh, and it brings emotions and it brings feelings with it. And we, uh, you might even have feelings when I, when I say these. So, so I, I say them gently to the people I love. But here uh, hear the statements you might have said and you might even feel strongly about. I think we should sing hymns. I think we should sing modern worship. I think we should support this ministry. No, 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 I think we should be conservative and save more. I think we should vote this way. I think we should vote that way. I think we should send our kids to public school. No, I think we should send them to private school. No, I think we should homeschool them. The list goes on and on of what we think and what we could disagree about well when you find yourself in a disagreement with believers there's two things that can guard your hearts two things that we can not think but that we can know that we can know from the text here's the first thing we can know number one we know that the safest place to be is in christ we know that the safest place to be is in christ Paul begins the end of his letter with this plea uh, to stand firm, and you might have noticed, in the Lord. And then this whole section begins and ends and even has the middle place of being in the Lord, in the Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Verse 4, he calls them to rejoice in the Lord. And then in verse 7, at the very end, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in the Lord, in Christ Jesus. So what's it mean to be in Christ? What well, means to find your identity, your security, everything in Christ? There's this union with him. This union like uh, the Bible describes as like a, a branch going off of a vine. Uh, it, it's in Christ. There's this unity that happens there. It's also described as like an appendage on the body, like an arm or a leg, that you are unified together with Christ, but not just you. That unity being in Christ means you're part of a bigger community, a bigger body, a bigger vine. This is actually, being in Christ is one of the most common ways the New Testament writers describe who you are as believers in Jesus. You are in Christ, which makes you belong to something bigger than just you. In Christ. You have something much bigger to agree upon than you do to disagree upon. If you are in Christ. It's the idea of uh, the the body of Christ and the hand uh, saying, boy, it's cold outside. I think we should wear gloves. And the foot says, (laughs) Gloves? How silly. We should be wearing shoes. And the hand and the foot, they start arguing, and the hand slaps the foot and throws the shoe away, and the foot stomps on the hand and kicks the glove off. And you're like, that's just a silly picture. That would never happen. And why? Because they're part of one body, and the mind is telling them, the head is telling them, no, we are one, we're going to function. As one. There is unity in the body, even in that diversity. Even when they disagree on glove or foot, they are one body. And Paul, in the same way, is calling this little church in Philippi back to joy in Christ, to rejoice in Christ by understanding you have something way bigger to agree on than you have to disagree on. He says, Rejoice in Christ. So he he says, so what I want you to do is I want you to turn and I want you to pray before anything. Before you say, I think, go, what do I know? And these are the things I know, that being in Christ is the safest place to be. So ask the Lord. And then turn to thanksgiving, he says. And as long as you're uh, giving thanks to God, it's really hard to fight with your brothers and sisters. It's really hard to have this critical attitude. So he says, so... To know what it means to be in Christ, to be unified, to find the safest places is to be in Christ, is to ask the Lord for everything first. Give your request to him before you talk to your brother or sister. So next time you're in agreement, I think it's almost a a call back to the castle. We get so far out of the castle and, and outside of the castle walls that there's worry and anxiety and so many threats and all these things. And he's saying, let's come back. To the doctrine, those walls of the castle, that we know what it means to be in Christ. The things that we know, not the things, well, I think we should do this. This is what we know. And and if you're a believer in Jesus, these are the things you know. You know you're a sinner. You know you're broken. But you know that Jesus came, sent from the Father, to live a perfectly righteous and holy life and die in your place. You know there's forgiveness. You know there's mercy. You know that your Redeemer raised from the dead and that he lives today and that there's hope for whatever. You, you know that. So when you go, well, I think we should do this, and you start getting in a disagreement, let' go back to, what do we know? What do we know about being in Christ and find that unity? It'll protect your, it'll protect your heart for joy to know that the safest place to be is in, in Christ Here's the second thing we know. We know that we are a people who need a mediator. We know that we're a people who need a mediator. We're not capable. You're not capable of living this life on your own by your own strength. You need a mediator. Our very faith, the foundation of our very faith is all about a mediator. We need a mediator between God and man, which is Jesus. Our whole faith depends on it. So then why at some point do we go, well, I, need a, I need a mediator between me and Jesus, but I don't need a mediator anywhere else in my life. I'll do it on my own. That, Paul's like, no, that's not it at all. Paul says, Euodia and Syntyche, I, want, I, I entreat you to, to agree in the Lord. You can, you can disagree on things, that's fine, but agree in the Lord of what he's done to unify you together. But he doesn't stop there. Then in verse 3, look, look at verse 3. He turns and he said, yes, I ask you also, true companion. I ask you also. And and here's the thing that's just baffling about this. The whole letter is to this group of people. And he turns here and he says, and I ask you also. That you is singular. It's just one person. But he doesn't say who that one person is. (laughs) Uh, so there's lots of ideas and theories out there. One of them is it's Luke, who they say Paul left behind in Philippi to put things together, and that he's writing Luke and saying, Luke, my true companion, who's been there for a long time and faithful and true and loved the Philippians, help these ladies out. Help them, help, help us come back to unity in, in the body. So it could be Luke. It could be Epaphroditus, who sent the letter, uh, which feels weird if he's like writing the letter and he's... He's there giving the gift and then takes a letter and he says, and you also. And he's like, oh, I'll write that in the letter to the, so, but some people think it might be. Uh, The you, the singular person, uh, the true companion, is a Greek, it's one Greek word. And so some people have speculated, well, he's actually talking to the true companion, which is this Greek word, which they're saying is actually his, his name. Though there's no evidence inside or outside of scripture that that's actually a name. So... Maybe it is. We don't know. We're left, we're left with going, I, who is the you? So here's my, here's my thoughts on it. Uh, I think Paul intentionally did this by the Spirit so that when they hear Euodia and they hear Syntyche and you're sitting there and going, ooh, <laughs> that seems like a mess. I don't want to step in. And Paul goes, and you also. You. You. And put whatever name you have, if I called your name out here this morning, your ears might perk up and go, what? That's what he wants you to hear. You also, you are your brother's and your sister's keepers. You're responsible for this too. This unity is not just, "Ooh, that seems messy, I'm going to step back. You also, if you want to if you want to help in this uh, beautiful unity of being in Christ, you also are given the ministry of reconciliation. You serve as a priest to other people. You should be praying for them, helping them step into the mess. You might get bit. You might end up smelling messy. That's the job. That's what Jesus did, and they ended up killing him. And he's saying, Paul's like, we need that. We need that with each other. We need that to help people, to invite people into our messes and go, would you help us out? Because we know we're not perfect. We know we're sinners. We know we need somebody else to help us navigate this, uh, to be a mediator. And then as you step into that mediation role, that you would just point people to Jesus, the ultimate mediator. Like, look, I'm stepping into this broken and a mess too, but I know someone who can help. And we serve as a mediator for one another. So invite people into your life. If, you're, if you have a disagreement, don't, don't just step back. Or if you see things, uh, disagreements in that thing, step forward into the mess. We know we need mediators. We're people who uh, need a mediator every day before our Father. The role of the mediator then guards our hearts to be one so that we can experience that joy and what it looks like to be living side by side with other broken people. Okay, that's the first, first gate, the gate of our heart. That we know the safest place is to be in, in Christ, and we know that we are people who need a mediator. Here's the second gate, the gate of our, our head or our mind. Look in verse 8. It talks about a lot of what you're, th- what you're thinking. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Get better at them. And the God of peace will be with you. So now it's just not the peace that God gives. It's God himself who is peace is going to be with us. It's, it's this, uh, this guard and this father who was right there together. This peace that we know is, is God there helping us at the, at the gate of our head. He knows the difference between steak and gum. He knows the difference between chewing steak and chewing gum. Steak is, if you like steak, I love steak. You chew it, you swallow it, you digest it, and it gives you proteins and vitamins and calcium and magnesium. It helps you grow stronger. It, it, your immune system gets better. You gain muscles. You gain all this good things. When you chew gum, you get zero grams of iron, zero vitamins, zero calcium, zero magnesium. I can go on and on. It's just Zero. You look on the, it's just zero all through the thing, except for maybe sugar, and then that'll give you, but, but then it just, if you swallow gum, it just sits in your stomach and you actually can't digest it. It just sits there until you get rid of it. It's good for nothing. And thoughts, what you, those ideas and what you think and what you allow into your brain to chew on are either like that steak or like that gum. One, one encourages you, lifts you up, brings you life. And, and the other one uh, brings this really good for nothing. And the guard at the gate of our, our brain or what we think in our heads uh, is actually Christ who's like, think about these good things. Is it, is it steak or is it gum? Does, you need to just spit it out. And if you're thinking about something that's like, yeah, this is not good for me, it's going to start robbing you of your joy. So you just need to, to spit it out you just spit out gum did you just spit out your gum <laughs> <laughs> classic if any of you are chewing gum spit it out now <laughs> no gum's fine but that's uh, just illustration It's illustration of like what is it that we want to be Thinking and chewing, and the word "hagaying" on meditating, chewing, crawling over and over. Is it steak or is it gum? Is it things that aren't beneficial for us at all that are going to rob us of our joy, or they things that are going to produce life and growth and strengthen us? Is it true? The very first one. Is it true? And everything that comes into your brain, you probably think, "Yeah, that's true." I googled it. I know uh, it's it's true. But that is. Actually, the very first thing that our enemy does, he mixes these half-truths with with lies and and we get confused. Is it true? Is it not true? So we need the word of God. We need that guard there on our lives and other people as well to come in to say, oh, I think what you're chewing on is not true and you need to spit that out. That is not beneficial. That is going to rob you of your joy. Get rid of that. We need to go back to God's word so that he can be a guard for our our thinking. It is honorable. Would you share this with somebody else? Is it a thought that you would be like, oh, yeah, I'd be happy if somebody could just read my email in my head? Are you okay with that or is it not? And if you're not, then it's probably not honorable. So you need to spit it out like gum. Is it just? Does it think of other people just as highly as yourself? Or are you thinking, how can I scheme and get things that I can be better and push other people down? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Those are the filters of what we should be chewing on and what we even should digest and be like, this is true, this is right, this is good. These are the things that he wants us to feast upon, which goes back to who Jesus is and his word. All these things that are mentioned are reflections of who Jesus is. You really can't find them outside of a relationship with, with Jesus. So guarding our heads is this, not only the peace of God, but the God of peace who is right there going, I'm right here with you. Let, let, me, let me help you. Here's the final gate we see. The peace of God guards our hands. Guards our hands. It guards what you give and what you receive. And it gives you this end goal of contentment. Look in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord, there it is again, greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And the Philippians, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help, for my needs once and again, not that I uh, seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you send a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Philippians 4.13 is probably one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. Probably the most well-known. It's on t-shirts. It's on mugs. You can get them anywhere. Uh, in the gym, it's on the posters that's supposed to motivate you to work out more. Uh, it, it's on everything. And this verse, taking it out of context, can actually be one of the most dangerous verses in the whole Bible. And let me tell you why. Because when you're on the weight bench in the gym and you put 600 pounds at the end of that weight and you tell Mike and Paul, all right, I'm ready to lift it. Wait a minute, let me quote a verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let her drop and it drops, it will crush you. Uh, if you come up to the start of a race and you're like, I'm going to run a sub three-minute mile. I don't know why you're laughing because I can do all things through him who Gives me strength. And you start running. I'm going to tear a hammy for sure. That's not, uh, I want to build a rocket ship to go to the moon because other billionaires have done it. I can YouTube it. YouTube it. You pour, you start pouring that rocket fuel in there and you go, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you're like, that's going to end really bad. <laughs> it's a dangerous place. We need to know what this really means. And let's go back and think of the context of what Paul is saying this in. This is not a self-actualization verse. Here's Paul with nothing, in prison, going, I've learned over the years through the highs and the lows how to be content. I can live with a lot. I can live with a little. I've learned that Christ in every step of the way gives me just what I need for the day. And in knowing that contentment, it is has it is guarded the joy that I have in Christ. It's not based on what I have. It's not based on the things that I can grab and get a hold of. It's not based on the things that I clutch. It's not based on my strength. It's actually living the opposite way, living with open hands. Knowing that everything you have or is given is the Lord's and you're just simply a steward of. That if you have something that somebody else can use, like, oh, free. Feel free. And if you don't have anything at that moment, just keep your hands open. The Lord will provide in just the right time. You know, uh, he, Paul, said, I, I've come into fellowship with you Philippians. You're the only church that is given and received. You, you, you gave, but you also received from me. And I think oftentimes as believers, we're good at probably one more than the other. Um, and I, I've just been thinking, chewing on this a lot. I even talked about it, in, like with the group table and down in Rooted Connections this morning, of this idea of um, we receive not because we need or that any of that thing, but we receive so that we can give. They can get the credit and the and the pleasure and the gift from the Lord. And so, if ever we hear in this church, and it would be awesome if this church, if someone says, "Oh, can I help out?" You know how many times I hear, "Oh, no, I got it." And, and basically, I think what Paul is saying is, oh, you've just robbed them of the joy that they could, they could have. Be open-handed. So if anyone goes, hey, is it? can I help out? And I'm vacuuming the floor. You know what my natural response is? I got it. I can do it because I want to be a servant. I want to take the humble position. I got it. And so, we, oh, can I help out? Nope. I'm going to get all the credit for this one. Thanks. You just sit on this. That's basically what I'm saying. You sit on the sideline. Well, rather, if I would say, oh, can I help vacuum? Absolutely. I'd love for you to get all the credit for this. Wow, aren't you? Look at them. They're great. And that person actually receives. And you're like, oh, okay, I know it's a little bit funny. Like, and don't take it too far. Like, when you get home, like, I'm going to let Amy get all the credit for everything around. (laughs) That's not it. (laughs) Within reason, right? But if if somebody in the church, even new, is like, oh, can I help out? Can I help carry that? Can I help whatever? Wouldn't it be awesome if our first response as a church was not No, 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 we got it, but it was absolutely. Not that we need it, not that I not that I wouldn't be willing to do that, but I I want you to get the gift for this. That's Paul's desire. Whether he has a lot or a little, he's like, I don't it's all the Lord's. I'm just open-handed, and that protects The the joy. So Paul's desire is for that they would know Jesus. That they they would have this guard over their their heart and their minds and their hands that would allow them to, to stay firmly in Christ, inside the castle, so that no one would come in and steal their joy. So he sets this guard up to protect them. And then he signs off the letter. Verse 21 says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So so if you are an in Christ Jesus person this morning, uh, Paul's writing to you. He's saying, hey, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Uh, The brothers and the sisters who are with me, they greet you. So the church in Philippi is sitting there going, there's going to be a church in, maybe not knowing boring Oregon, but like there's a church that's going to come and then we are rooting for them. We are cheering them on. That Paul, by the Spirit, gives his instructions of wisdom to every saint, which means if you are in Christ, you are a saint, and you probably do not feel like it. I know I don't. But it doesn't matter, because it's, uh, in Christ, he calls me a saint, and we're cheering you on, and he says, don't let anyone steal your joy. And so I, I think this is, a, this is just a good encouragement to us as Hollyview. Uh, as we get to know each other and we spend the years together, I'm sure there will be disagreements. Would it, guard, uh, would it guard our hearts so that we don't become bitter and we don't go, ooh, that's their problem? Uh, would it guard our thinking, that we're not thinking, man, we're better than everyone or oh, we're worse than everyone, that it would guard our thoughts, that we would think about what's true? And would we be a church that's with open hands, going, it's all the Lord's anyway. Where can I give? Where can I receive? How can I give the blessing to other people as well? Let's Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for the season that we've spent in Philippians, a season really where we've sat next to the Apostle Paul in prison, and his love for these believers has just overflowed, and now it's really overflowed to us as well. So I pray that we would take these, these words and this idea that we would, we would see ourselves uh, in between a guard and the Father who want to protect our joy and what it means to be unified in Christ. And Lord, as we uh, just sing and we have one voice together, I pray that that would be pleasing to you as as well this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com Together we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.